Good morning to those of you that are watching online. Uh, I'm excited to be here today because this topic is something that is very close to my heart. It is the prodigal son that we will be focusing on mainly out of Luke 15. Uh, I am the director of family ministries here. And as you know, we are in this series this month uh, on At the Table. And each week we are looking at the relationships of those people that we deal with and interact with and more particularly those that we're really close to at our table and how we love each and every one of them. Last week I had the privilege of, of giving this message at Hernando and if you heard that I will have to tell you I changed up a little bit today because you know when you speak to a certain audience uh, I'm more familiar with you guys and I know your stories than I do the, the people down in Hernando. And so uh, if you ha heard it last week uh, I hope you hear a little bit more this week as well. You know, Nate uh, opened up his series down there with At the Table on talking about love, how we love the people at our table. And I love the definition that Nate set up, and, I'm so, and I asked him if I could borrow that. So if we could go to a definition of love, it's from Paul Copen. It's on the screen, and it says that love is an affection for the continued welfare of another person that moves us to commit to act for their well-being. I want you to, you to hear this. It's just basically, if you want to shorten that, love is committing and acting for the welfare of another person. Okay? And so I want you to keep that definition in your mind today as we talk about and talk about how we love those prodigals in our lives. You know, um, I want you to hear in that definition, there's two things. There's commitment and then there's action. Commitment to love and action on that love. And I want to say this as we go through this. It's going to hit home to a lot of us. It, hit home, it hits home to me. Because we all have prodigals in our lives. We all know them. They're in our families. They're our close friends. You can't live in this post-Christian world today, particularly in America, and not experience someone that has walked away. You know, the prodigal definition that you're given in Webster's Dictionary is a little bit different than what we see now because what the definition talks about is spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. That's Webster's Dictionary. And, and of course, they get that from this story of the prodigal son. But we know today that prodigal means a lot more. Okay? It was influenced by that definition, but it has many different meanings today. I look at it like this. Someone who has lost, who's never known Jesus. Someone who has walked away from God after knowing Jesus, who strayed, who has wandered, intentionally left. One who has distanced himself or herself from our Creator. It's more than just about going off and spending and living recklessly. It's just walking away intentionally. One who says, I will go on my own. I'm going to do it my way. How I want and when I want. 
But you get the picture here because I could go on and on with that. And so to set us up for our understanding of how we love prodigals in our lives, we're going to be today focusing on the Gospel of Luke particularly in chapter 15. And before, when I'm doing any teaching or message, I always want to highlight the writer of the scripture that we're reading because I think that helps us understand a little bit more and put it into context. Now, we know that Luke was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was an apostle of Paul. And he, we know also through reading his, his writings because he wrote not only the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts as well, and you can literally put those two together and read them as one narrative. Luke was a physician, he was a Gentile, and he was a historian. What a combination. So his personality was he wrote in meticulous detail. If you read any of Luke's writings, he goes into stories very deeply talking about the character of the person and the individual. And the reason he tells he even wrote the gospel in the first place, if you briefly looked at chapter 1, verse 1, is he says, I'm writing this for my friend Theophilus, who I want you to know who this Jesus is. I want an orderly account of the life of Jesus, Theophilus, so you will know Jesus personally. And so Luke, even in his beginning, tells us about a little bit about his writers. So look with me as we begin today. Uh, we're going to start first in Luke 15, chapter 1, verses, I mean Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And I want to read two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is the very two verses that set up this whole chapter. Because Jesus is showing us there are two kinds of people that he's in contact with. He's got the tax collectors and he's got the sinners on one side and he's got the Pharisees and the scribes on the other side and they're grumbling to Jesus because he's over there eating with them, receiving them, uh, interacting with them. And I want you to look and think about these two groups because what Jesus does is he highlights these two groups and then he goes immediately into three different parables. He first highlights the parable of the lost sheep, then he goes into the parable of the lost coin, and then finally he wraps up this chapter with the parable of the prodigal son. But there's a reason that he does this, that Luke highlights this for us. And the reason is, is Jesus wants you to see these two groups and how they interplay and interact with each other. Because I think if we will take the time today and open our hearts, we're going to find ourselves in one of these two groups. And so when we look at the first, Jesus is sitting over there with sinners and tax collectors. Isn't it funny that, that Luke lists these two together? Because tax collectors were very hated in those days. They were mostly Jewish. And what they would do is they would collect the taxes from the Jews for Rome. And you know what they would do? They would collect a little bit more than Rome required and keep part of it for themselves. And it was a known fact, but uh, it was the law and they had to do it. So they were the most, some of the most hated Jews in the region. And Jesus is associating himself with them and with sinners. 
And on the other side, we have the Pharisees, the keepers of the law of Moses, the religious leaders, those that worked at the temple and says, I'm going to follow the letter of the law. I'm going to do everything that God said. But you also know they added their own stuff to it. There was a lot of legalism involved. And, and you've got these two groups and Jesus in the middle and the Pharisees are saying, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You're not supposed to be consorting with these sinners. Don't you get the law? And see, the thing about this is we want to we start, I do today, with the last parable because I really think it highlights the whole chapter. And so if you will then skip with me to verse 11, we're going to read together and we're going to break this down kind of verse by verse. And, and I'm reading out of the ESV version if, you're, if your scripture is a little bit different. Let's start in chapter, in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Okay, I want to stop right there. Let's go back in Jewish history because this didn't happen. It was unheard of. Father was head of a family. He had the estate. If he had one son, the son, the eldest son got the whole estate. If he had more than one son, then the eldest son got a double portion and the others divided it up. And so in this case, we do have two sons. And the younger, the younger son who has no right to do anything goes to the father and says, okay, I'm tired of your ways, your rules. I want to go my own way. Just give me my inheritance right now. This would require the father to do some things. Liquidate assets. And what were their assets? It was land and animals. That's what determined their wealth mostly in those days. And it was unheard of for any son, an elder son, much less a younger son, to go demand this of his father. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, it gives us a little clue. Luke says, not many days later. So it took a few days to liquidate some assets. The father had to take a third of the estate, liquidate it, and then give that to that younger son. So that means the son has gotten his inheritance. He's done. The rest of it belongs to older brother. I want you to keep that in your mind. And it says he goes out in where? A foreign country. He leaves his people and he squanders it in reckless living. Later on, we're going to find out what the reckless living was. And so the attitude of this younger son is haughty, prideful, give it to me, I'm doing it my way. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. You see, sin feels great for a while and then reality hits us in the face. 
Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. The mighty and the proud fall, don't they? One day he's living it up, as we say in the South, high on the hog, so to speak. And the next day he has absolutely nothing. And he has to go and hire himself out to some stranger in a foreign land. And he's so hungry he's willing to eat what they're feeding the pigs. So important. Verse 17. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Let's keep going. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Listen to this. Father-son relationship severed by the son, and he's willing to go back and say, you know what, I know that our relationship is done. It's over. Just take me back as, as, as one of your servants, and I'll do anything that they're doing. I know I'm not worthy to be called your son again. Here, this imagery Luke is setting us up with. There's a severed relationship, and the son knows it, and he says, I've done this. I'm coming back, and just, just whatever I can do, even if I come back as a servant. That's repentance, folks. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. And I want you to hear this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. When we see that Greek word compassion in this passage, it's the same Greek word when you go to the parable of the good Samaritan where you read that the Samaritan had compassion on the poor fellow that had been beaten and bloodied. And that word Greek in Greek means it's just gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching till it pulls you to action. And that's the same word here. And what did the father do? He ran to him. He saw him at a distance. He doesn't sit there and say, okay, come up here and apologize to me and tell me you're sorry for squandering half of your th whole inheritance. He doesn't do anything. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. He simply runs up to him, embraces him, and kisses him. And I want you to understand that imagery. And the son, in verse 21, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He repeats that phrase, verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is now found. And they begin to celebrate. Not what we were expecting, is it? 
The father is so excited that the son has returned to him that he's willing to take what a huge celebration. And these type celebrations were usually reserved for something big like a wedding or some special engagement. And it involved the whole community. And the father says, just this one act of you returning to me is causing me to want to just burst with joy and excitement and pride and have you back with me. Do you hear this? You see, the father, we got to understand, he let the son go and lived as he wanted to. It didn't matter to him what the son had done. He welcomed him back. Let's celebrate. And now we go to the flip side of the story. We've got older brother here, and we get family dynamics, don't we? Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Can you imagine what the brother was thinking at this time? Are you kidding me? He, he gets, you go on and give him his inheritance and he goes off and squanders it and comes back and you don't have any words for him. You don't have any condemnation for him. You don't sit here and chide him for what he's done wrong. You give him a celebration as if he were some king or something returning. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. The son was like, I'm not dealing with this. You think I'm going to be a part of this? Then his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you filled a fattened calf with him. So now we know what the son wasted part of his money on were prostitutes. And the son is sitting there looking at the father saying, what? I keep your rules. I've served you. I've never disobeyed you. And, and you've not done this for me. And see, part of us in our Western culture mindset, we kind of follow along with the line of thinking of this older son, don't we? If we're honest, you, you, you cause this so you should suffer. And I'm obeying and, and I should be okay. And you, don't, you treat him like that and you don't treat me that way? Listen to the father's words, verse 31. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting and to celebrate and be glad for this brother, your brother, was dead. He is alive he was lost and is found. So what do we have here, people? You see, Jesus is setting it up. He started us off with the two groups, the Pharisees, the scribes, the tax collectors, and the sinners. And so I would think you would see this by now. We have the younger brother 
the self-discoverer, the do-it-my-way type, the sinner, the tax collector. We have the older brother, the moral conformist, the rule follower, the Pharisee and the scribe. And see, Jesus is explaining here in this parable how he's relating to these sinners and tax collectors, but now he's also looking over to the older brother and the Pharisees and the scribes. And so he's not leaving anybody out is what I'm trying to say. Because verse 29 is the key to see what's wrong here. I, look, I have been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, yet you've never given me a fattened calf. And I could be married with my friends. Now, there's a clue about what's wrong with this relationship. I really want you to hear this. Because we're talking older brother, Pharisee, and scribe. And the clue number one is the word serving in here. Because he says, I have served you, Father. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not the language of a father-son relationship. This is the language of slave and master. And imagine what the father is feeling like when he's hearing this older son say, I have served you. I'm doing this. I've done this for you. You should do for me. This is not the relationship of a loving father and a loving son. It's turned into a slave-master relationship. And that's what's wrong here. The next thing we look at is the older brother says, I've never neglected one of your commandments. And it's as if the older brother is saying to the father, you're just a command giver. I measured up. He didn't. And Luke even tells us, goes into, into Acts, he goes into chapter 17, verse 25. Listen to this. Luke tells us that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, but he himself gives life and breath to everyone. You see, in this story, the brother is, is putting this as you've got a slave and you've got commandments and you've got a master and that's all wrong. There's a messed up relationship here that Jesus is trying to point out. Because the only one that serves is Jesus himself, which as we know is represented by the character of the Father here. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man came not to be served. This is a son who's got all the service. I work, I work, I work. This is what the older son is saying. That's what I've done. Why aren't you paying? And that's not what father-sons are about, work and payment. It's not about that. It's just so deeply broken. Please hear this, church. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm coming into the world to give my life as a ransom. I'm after people. I'm serving you. You don't serve, with, you don't serve me. Jesus says, I don't recruit. I read a statement by John Piper, the theologian, that he said, the gospel is not a help-wanted sign. It's a help-available sign. God's not coming in the world to get helpers. He is the help. We're the needy ones. He is the helpful one. We get this backwards, don't we? 
This older son doesn't get this relationship at all. He doesn't understand it. And in church, in dealing with prodigals at our table, we have to ask ourselves the questions. Are we the older brother or not? Do we act like the older brother or do we act like the father? Because there are so many people on the outside who don't get grace. They don't understand it. They don't get it at their gut level. They look at life as if it's the older brother type. Because a lot of, oftentimes they see us in the churches acting as the older brother type. And a good way to test yourself to whether you're aligning yourself with the older brother or the father is to ask yourself when sin happens, how do you feel? Does it, do you feel mainly disgust for that person? Or do you feel compassion in your gut that's gut-wrenching that wants to cause action? Yes, sin is disgusting. We know that. But it's how, it, how you respond to it. And that's, that's something we all have to wrestle with. See, another thing, if we're acting like this older brother, Pharisee, scribe type, is it makes us blame. We love the blame game, don't we? We don't just start feeling disgust. We start blaming because in verse 30, he says, but when this son of yours came back, you hear that? This son of yours. And what does that sound like? We go back to Genesis 3 after, the, after Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit and, and fell. And God says, what have you done? And Adam looks at, at God and says, this woman you gave me? You hear it? We're all products of that Genesis 3 people, each and every one of us. And we have to guard ourselves against that. So... In other words, when you're guilty and functioning in terms of work and merit and pay, you become the blamer to the core, not the loving father. So why does, why does Jesus tell us this? What is, why does the father say all this to the older brother? And I want you to see this because he, he talked horrible about the Pharisees in Scripture. He called them vipers and all these other words. But here is one time when he looks at them and he has mercy even on the Pharisee and even to the older brother. And I want you to see this because he says, son, what's mine is yours. You are, you're always with me. This, this is a relationship. See here, older brother, Pharisee, you're loved by Jesus too. And that's the point of this parable. I really think this could be called the parable of the lost sons, plural. Because Jesus is dealing as much with the prodigal as he's dealing with the, the self-righteous. Because for the prodigal, he runs out to him. He entreats him and then he goes to the older son and he goes to him and he entreats him to that word entreat means to ask someone something earnestly and he speaks tenderly to that older brother to that Pharisee and he says you're always with me 
And folks, that is mercy, that is grace. There's no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's no anger, there's no trying to control. It's simply grace. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with this story? We have to fall with, look within and see where we fall in this narrative. Are we like the younger son who strayed away from the father? You know what? We've all been there. We've all been prodigals at one point in time in our life. And God graciously and lovingly opened his arms and took each and every one of us back to him, no matter what we did. Are we the older brother? Do we feel so good about ourselves when we walk in this building or when we tell someone we're a Christian? Do we tell them all we do in our life, how we work for the church, how we volunteer, how we do, we do, we do. And we feel so good about all we have done and how we've lived. We simply look at those that are not doing and we start judging, blaming, and rebuking? Or do we take this role of the Father and open our arms to those in our table that have walked away or that are strayed with no conditions, no condemnation, just simply love? So get well, I have to ask you, how do we love our prodigals? You see, I have many prodigals in my life, and I know you do too, and they deal with many issues, and they are far from God, some farther than others, but I still have a choice to make on how I treat them, and, and we can run through the list. I know we run with kids, specifically here at this church, who we worry about, we pray about, we watch our grandchildren, and we're just like, Lord, where are they? What are they doing? Because the world out there seems so enticing, and they follow all these things. Their addictions, lust, pornography, alcohol, drugs, same-sex attraction, money, and it goes on and on and on. But see, what's going to be help bring them back is which role I choose to pick, older brother or loving father. It's going to go a long way in that. I want you to hear these words. 1 Peter 2.21. He says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Who is he talking about? Christ the loving Father. Jesus is recorded by John, says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another, John 13, 34. Jesus has already given us example of a loving Father, and he calls us to imitate him, especially in dealing with our prodigals. We're not called to judge and condemn. We're simply called to imitate him and to love. I said I wanted to go back. We're going to go back up to verse 3 in chapter 15. And I want you to, this is a very short parable, but I want you to hear this. 
chapter 15, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You hear that? The two sides. And he goes out, seeks, and gets. You know, I have, when I was much younger, I didn't understand this parable. In my, in my past life as a lawyer, I dealt with many things. I had a, a, a father that came to me one time and hired me to represent his son. And his son was on drugs. And he went through center after center, addiction after addiction. I would show up at, at the jail and he would just look like a wreck. And I, I looked at that dad and I used to say to him, how do you keep doing this? You keep bailing him out. You keep sending him and spending all this money to these centers and, and for addiction, centers for addiction and nothing's working. He says, I don't have a choice. He's my son. He says, and I will do it till I either run out of money or till the day I die. And I, it, it, it hit me. I thought, oh my gosh. Folks, that's gut-wrenching compassion that's caused to action. And it was such an example to me because this hits so close to home. I have prodigals in my family, and I know you do too. And I want you to hear this, please. It doesn't matter the circumstances that have led them astray. I'm sure many of them are still dealing with those issues and are going to for some time. Because, you know, what matters most is which role we choose in moving forward with them. You see, are we going to act like the older brother or the Pharisee? Well, are we going to take Scripture and beat them over the head with the Bible until we think that the law of, and the rules will just sink in? Because that's a tactic of us Christians. We love to quote Paul and his rules on how we should be living, even when Paul himself said that he couldn't even do what he needed to do. He struggled with it. It's hard. And if we choose to continue to live in this role as older brother and prodigal, older brother and Pharisee, they're probably going to remain prodigals, to be quite honest with you. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to manage their sin for them. And we, we have a hard enough time managing our own sin, don't we? Because see, sin management never leads to transformation. Only Jesus can, can transform our sin. Are we going to choose to act like the loving Father Jesus where we go out and run to them and look and search for them and find them and throw our arms around them and say, come on, welcome back. 
no conditions. I know you're living not how I want you to live, but let's sit down and talk about it because I love you. Now see, you have this basis to move forward and that basis is called love and it's love in action just like our definition at the beginning that we talked about. Romans 8, 1 says it all. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn you and your stuff. He forgives you and you shouldn't condemn the prodigals in your life. You should be forgiving too. And I'm telling you folks, if you need to talk more about this, please, let's talk. We've got staff here. We've, we, this is what we're about. Let's walk together in this. We're here for you. Because we're all in a spiritual battle, get well, every one of us. So let's battle together. The choice is yours, older brother, Pharisee, or loving father. And I know which one I'm going to choose and continue to choose. And I hope you will examine your hearts and follow, follow the way of the Father. The altar will be open. Come be with him who opens his arms to you. Let's pray. Father God, that image that you give us of just taking us back when we don't even deserve it, and yet when, when we experience that grace we turn into that older brother Pharisee and we want to judge and condemn and that is just so not the gospel we repent of that help us to turn our ways back to you and to be that loving father to others because in you there is no condemnation just walk with us in this it's messy be with us as we welcome our prodigals back to our table. We need your mercy and grace in order that we may show it. And may we be and imitate you, Jesus. This time is yours. For your glory and for your kingdom, we say, Amen.